0: Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. I want to add my voice of welcome to you as well. And uh, I mentioned already about the prayer journal. This is what the journal looks like. As I mentioned before, they're on the back on the on the tech table and they're also on the connection table just outside these doors. It's a free resource, uh, a great prayer guide for you to be praying for a person that as we've been challenging this year, one of the things that this year we've looked at in 2020 is to identify one person, one person in your life who you believe is far from the gospel and, and to just begin to ask God the question, Lord, could you use me this year to see... Change to see life change in this person's life. Could perhaps my testimony, my story, my friendship, my relationship with this person, this one, would influence them to come closer to the gospel, to to say yes to King Jesus? And this is one of the tools that we have uh, this year to expose, to give to our folks, to help them through this journey. And so, want to want to just relay that it's been powerful for me. And as I already mentioned, uh, for some people, they're probably just a few days from finishing out. Other people that started a little later or, or, you know, only six, seven days into it, that's okay because this is an individual thing. And as a matter of fact, I have a feeling when I'm done with day 30, I'll probably open it right back and start day one again and continue to use this as a prayer tool throughout the year for me as well. Uh, Also, just want to just put a, give a hand out there to our youth and our youth sponsors and our youth parents Guys, youth, you did a great job last night. A big hand goes to you. Way to go, teenagers. We had so much fun. I had so much fun. I must admit, though, there's a picture out there floating on Facebook of me and... And Pastor John and Ryan and uh, and I was taken back to what life was like for me in ninth and tenth grade and I had kind of some some you know traumatic, some post-traumatic experiences of, of people like yes, yeah, some flashbacks of people like that. And if you're saying, I don't understand what you're talking about, Tony, well you need to go to our Facebook page and check take a look because yes, that's what my high school experience was like. Me sir me clean cut, wearing a sweater around my neck surrounded by, by Bon Jovi, you know, the Bon Jovi <laughs> band. And it was a very scary thing for me. So anyway, you thank you for allowing me to relive that fear and kind of work some of the demons out. So it was a great time last night. We had a lot of fun and some money was raised. Matter of fact, Melissa, did you, did you have a count of how much was raised or is that still for this uh, coming up week? Cliff, you're $500 raised for youth ministry. Yeah, absolutely. So good job, guys, on that. Uh, so one of the things I do is I usually beat Dana home from work. A long time ago, we set a rule that whoever is the first person home is the person who cooks for the day. And I discovered uh, after about five years into that, that Dana was driving around the block waiting for me <laughs> to get home. And uh, But then one, you know, being the first is allows its privilege. And one of the privileges is I get the mail, right? And and he who gets the mail, or she who gets the mail, holds the power. So I'm able to, you know, go through the mail, and I see things. That I'm like, I don't know that I want Dana to see these. I don't know that I want Dana to see the uh, the Walt Disney World 25% off card there for the next vacation. That's going in the trash. And, oh, I don't know if I want, oh, I see there's a ca- there's a catalog here for uh, workout wear. And Dana was just talking about how she needs some new workout wear. Well, that's going in the trash, too. We're... Don't need to buy those kinds of things. And and then I see, you know, obviously like, uh, you know, Bass Pro ad. I'm like, well, definitely we need that. So we're going to put that. I'm going to circle some things that Dana could get me for Father's Day and uh, and for, you know, my birthday that's coming up and and set that there. Uh, one day I found myself as what would be a normal experience that all of us would be at. I got one of those cards that you've, I'm sure, have seen too. And that is cards where you see children's faces on the card, right? Uh, you know, and these children are missing. These children have been stolen. They're runaways, and and their parents are looking for them. And I got that card, as we all do, in the mail. And I just, you know, again, no passion or anything. I just kind of saw it, saw of no interest to in me, and it went into the trash can. And in those moments, uh, I just kind of, a thought popped into my mind as I threw that in the trash can in our garage. And I'm walking into the kitchen and getting ready for the the evening. The thought that came to my mind was kind of just being a little, uh, eh, you know, just being a little hard about that, aren't you, Tony? You know, there's no sense of sadness, no Sense of even, you know, thinking about their families, thinking about these kids—you're just a little crass uh, in that, aren't you? And my response at that moment, as I had that thought pop into my mind, was, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know them. I don't know those kids. There's, there's no emotional bond there to me. Um, I don't really know. You know, I don't, I don't have anything, any sense of sadness. No profound sense of sadness here. And then the next thought that came into my mind was." Well what what would you do what would you do if that was your kid? What would you do if that was your son that was on the picture there and and I thought well you know I responded as, as I was just playing this out in my mind I was like I man I'd do what every dad would do. I'd leverage all my money, all the money that Dana and I have saved over the years. I mean that would go out, right? That would go out to to pay whoever pay private detectives to search that would go out in bounties of, of saying, hey, there's a reward to find my kid, and that's there. I would, I would take, you know, as I was thinking through this and playing it out of my mind, I was like, I'd take a, a leave of absence from Northbridge and just say, hey, I cannot be your pastor for now because i just got to put all of my focus, all of my energy, all of my effort to go find my kid, you know, wherever that leads. Need to, I need to go, I need to do something. I just can't sit at home, right? And, and, and so I was playing that out in my mind still not for certain who I was talking to I was just kind of thinking this was just a conversation in my, my head and, and then I, I sensed that it was the Spirit speaking to me and the reason why I'd say that was because a turn went in a different direction than I would have ever thought and, and that turn was this another question was posed to me and it, it was this it said this, I heard the voice that said well, what, do you, what do, you think, do, you, do you think what do you think that, about my children Uh, How do you think I feel? How do you think I feel about my children who are lost and the effort that I've taken to find them? And it occurred to me, it occurred to me at that moment as I was, you know, throwing mail away and I had this conversation of, of that God is not some dispassionate spirit up in heaven that's disconnected from planet earth and has a disconnected feeling to you and to you and to you. But the reality is God has experienced tremendous loss in that many sons and daughters of his, because of sin, have been horribly separated from his relationship, from a relationship with him. They've been horribly separated from fellowship with the living God, with the heavenly Father. And and I also realize that God went to extreme lengths to find his lost sons and daughters. And today what I just want to do as we conclude our series is to just take a look at the father's heart for his lost children. Now what I don't want this to be, and hear me, I'm being dead serious here. No games that I'm trying to play. I don't want this to be a guilt trip for you in which at the end of this time together, you sit back and you say, yeah, Tony, you're right, I, I'm bad at sharing my faith, and I need to be a little more vocal when the people around the water cooler talking about church, I need to speak up. I, when someone's sharing and someone opens up a door wide open about me sharing about what the gospel means, about what Jesus means to me, I need to walk through that door, I'm I'm bad at that, and I need to be better. I, I, the last thing I want this to be is is a time where I feel you feel like I'm just tightening the screws on you a little bit and making you feel guilty. And the reason why I'm being dead serious about that is because I understand profoundly that, that putting a guilt trip on someone, yeah, it works for a day or two, and you get some quick results, but long-term, you don't get anything from manipulating people with guilt or shame, right? You don't... Uh, I, I, I could make you feel bad. I could make you feel where you right now with all of your hearts were you to say, yes, I'm going to be better about sharing the gospel. But here's the reality. That feeling would last probably till the end of today. You know, When you go to bed tonight and prepare to go to work tomorrow, you would all sense of guilt, all sense of shame would be gone. Uh, so I don't want this to be a time for you to feel guilty, but rather what I want us to do is just take a sober look at what the father's heart is for his lost children. Now, Jesus talked about that clearly. Uh, we go to, we can go to Luke chapter 15, and we see that Jesus told three stories succinctly, one after the other, after the other. Now, most people, when they preach on this chapter, they would turn those three stories into three, three sermons, talk about them through three weeks, Uh, But that's not the way Jesus taught him. Jesus taught him all at one time. He didn't tell one story and say, y'all come back tomorrow, I got another story to share with you. He shared one, then the next, then the next, to show uh, just an increasing growth, an increasing sense of need, uh, show a profound sense of love that the Father has. So in Luke chapter 15, these three stories are about lostness. Jesus starts out by sharing about a shepherd. And what is a shepherd? The shepherd's story is... Is one Many of you probably know the story that he has a hundred sheep. Now, this shepherd, more than likely, does not own these sheep. More than likely, this shepherd is paid by someone, paid by a rich person or by a conglomerate of rich people to care for their sheep. He is a hireling uh, getting a day wage. And he counts as is typical. There are periodic times. I am told by shepherds in the sheep industry that they would take different set times throughout the day to to count, to make sure the sheep are there. And so uh, a point comes in the day where the shepherds count, one, two, three, four, five, six, counting through all the sheep in the field. And and Jesus says he was charged with a hundred sheep when his shift began. And at some point a sheep wandered off and he only has 99 sheep. Now, for most of us, you know, especially raised in the modern, you know, the, the era that we live in, you know, I'm sitting there going 99, 99%. That's, that's pretty good. That's a good grade. I'll take a 99%. But for the shepherd, he worked for a boss who 99 was not good enough. He knew that he would have to, he would have to pay for that lost sheep. That shepherd would lose something by losing a sheep. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus said that that shepherd made sure he knew these 99 sheep were in a safe space So he left and started going through the crevices and the caves, going up the hills, down the hills, into all the places he could, the dry creek beds, everywhere, looking for that lost sheep. And what does Jesus say happened? Well, he found the sheep. He puts the sheep on his shoulder. He carries it back safely to the other sheep. And then what does he do? He tells all other shepherds around, hey, I found my sheep. I found my sheep. He celebrates with his shepherds. I found the lost sheep. I don't, I don't have to lose money today. I don't have to lose anything today. I have found the sheep. He is profoundly happy. And Jesus goes right out of that story. Then he tells a story that's maybe a little more personal to someone. He tells of a little old lady who, who she only has 10 silver coins. That is her entire sum of wealth. That, those 10 silver coins is what's going to keep her from poverty for the rest of her life. Those 10 silver coins keeps her in a home. They they represent security and safety for her. Those 10 silver coins uh, is her entire worldly wealth. And what does Jesus say happens? She evidently at nighttime, when she, before she goes to bed, what does she do? She opens to make sure the coins are still there and she goes to wherever she stores those coins. She looks, she counts, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's only nine. She counts again. There's only nine. One's gone. Now, Easily, if she was unconcerned, it must have been late at night because she could have gone to bed. But, but Jesus says she lit a lamp. She lit up her house. She gets a broom. She begins sweeping out the nooks and the crannies, going through the corners, looking under things. She goes through a massive search to find the lost coin. Now, for you and I as Americans, it could be easy where we just are like, you know, little dispassionate, where we just like, ah, you know, what, what, what's the big deal here? But, but to this lady, remember a 10th of her wealth is gone. So imagine that, imagine that in your life that you wake up one day and a 10th of your wealth is just gone. Now, some of you are saying, Hey, after the last couple of weeks in the stock market, I don't have to imagine anything. That's exactly what I've experienced a Tenth of my wealth eva- evaporated in like two days time. So you understand what this lady's feeling like now. Difference is you can explain it. You understand what's happened. This woman is just gone. So she finds it though, she finds it, Jesus says, and what does she do? In that late hour, she calls her neighbors, and the people living next to her, and she says, my coin that was gone, I found it, I found it, and what does she do? She celebrates, she celebrates. And then Jesus tells a third story, a third story that is much more complicated, much more, uh, has, has a lot more social ramifications in this uh, experience. Now, Reuben, I haven't talked to you before service, have I? Nope. And you know, I did this in the first hour and honestly, incredible failure, incredible failure. But I have confidence with you. I have confidence with you today. You're going to help me tell this story. Okay. So now this, so it gives you a chance. Now the last guy, stage fright. So I'm not bringing you up here. Okay. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, think through I'm giving you some time to start thinking through those flannel graph stories you had as a kid about the par- I'm going to make it, the parable of the of the parable of the prodigal son. That's what we're talking about, the prodigal son here, okay? And uh, and so the story goes Jesus is sharing, right? And he's he's saying that there was a rich man that had a son. This son made a terrible request. Do you remember what that request was? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He was asking his dad. He said, "He said, dad, you know, normally I'd wait for you to die and you would, your money would be split up between me and my brothers, my family. But in this case, dad, I want my share now. A terrible request. One that, you know, again, us, we're kind of sitting there going, that's eh, a story, whatever. In Jesus' day, if, if he was sharing that to people, there would be people mortified by it. There'd be people hearing that story and say, that jerk of a son should be beaten. He should be tarred and feathered. He should be thrown out of the, the house. He should be thrown out of that family. He should be thrown out of that community. This guy is a terrible person. He wears the black cap, right? He is a bad guy. Now, what's even shocking and what's even more shocking is Jesus, is keep, he keeps on telling the story, getting these people on the edge of their seat because Jesus says that the father does what? He does it, doesn't he? He does it. He gives them his money. Now, now, Reuben, I'm going to ask you this question. Does the son use that money wisely you know, to invest or does he live in wild living? Does he use all that money in wild living and partying? Yeah, he parties. Now, I uh, don't worry. I'm not going to make you tell it because your mother's sitting right beside you. So I'm not going to make you say the word prostitute in front of, in front of her. That would be tremendously terrible. It'd be sad. I won't do that. He buys... He's, he's spinning on prostitutes. Jesus says, "I mean, Jesus is making this like a PG thirteen story." Okay, he's prostitutes, parties, wild, wanton living. Jesus says, "Right, terrible, terrible things." Uh, and so, so at the end of the time, the money's gone, and we learn something here. We learn side things and stories that Jesus tells, right? Such as we learn when you think that you got a bunch of friends because you're living a party lifestyle. And then when all of a sudden you don't have that money anymore and you can't party anymore and life kind of drops out, those friends are gone, right? Because that's what happens to this guy. He doesn't have his friends anymore. When he doesn't have the money, the the, the the partiers are gone, the prostitutes are gone, everyone's gone. Where does this guy find himself working at, Reuben? Yeah, he's serving as a, as, as throwing husks, you know, the like And 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 grain out to a pig, to pigs, to feed pigs, which again, in Jesus' day, to all these Jews here in the story, I mean, because you grow up your entire life learning that pork is evil. Pork is evil. Pigs are evil. And pigs, if you touch a pig, I mean, how could there be hope for you? kind of thing. And so now and so I guarantee you there was people out there in the audience that were like, Good for him. That's exactly what should have happened. What a great story, Jesus. You're telling an awesome story to warn people. This is what happens when you act like a jerk to your dad, right? And so so the the guy, Jesus, goes on, though. He continues to tell the story. He says, this guy is out there working as a pig farmer, right? You're doing a wonderful job, Ruben. You're doing awesome, by the way. Um, He's serving as a pig farmer. And what does he do? One day he wakes up, doesn't he? He wakes up and he's like, my... Dad has servants that eat better than I do. They're treated better than I do. I'm going to go to him and prepare a speech to say how terribly I sinned, and perhaps my dad will have pity on me and will make me a slave in his house. And I will at least have better food than I have today because I'm starving today. And so he prepares a speech and what does he do? He gets up and he goes. He goes. And out his way to his father He's going to the father, but you know what? The father sees him first. And Jesus says the father throws all dignity aside, being a wealthy man, he throws all that aside and he runs for his son. He grabs his son, he hugs his son, he kisses his son. He, 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 what does he do? He puts a, a robe around his son. He gives him the signet ring of his family to show that his son is back in the family again. And he tells other slaves, other servants to go kill the fattened calf. We're having a party today because my son was gone, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. All right? Incredible story that to this day still shapes people. Jesus told it back then, first time he that story had ever been heard, people's mouths are dropping. They just can't understand. Why would a why would a dad act that way to such a jerky son? That's and there were probably some people who didn't like the story. They'd be like, that's not how it should have ended. It should have ended where the man told the son, Well, that's what you get. Get out in the field and work for me. Why? Because that's how we experience life, right? That's what reality is. But Jesus was not trying to teach people reality. Jesus was not trying to tell stories that people would go, yep, that's that's the way life is. What Jesus was doing, his purpose, was to show the Father's tremendous love for the sons and daughters who have yet to have been found. And so with these three stories, we see some common elements, don't we? We see the idea that something's lost. Now it's beautiful as Jesus is weaving this narrative uh, we see kind of like this funnel effect, right? Where we see a, what, what's it lost at first? A, a sheep, right? A sheep. I mean, that's that's obviously an economic thing, but but as far as the shepherd's concerned, it's not something passionate. He's not passionate for that sheep. But what it does represent is he goes, "Oh, I'm going to lose some wages. I'm responsible for that sheep, and now it's lost on my watch. I my, the owner's going to expect me to compensate him for that." So so he is losing something here. But even more than that, the 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 owner was losing something. But then, just this master storyteller that Jesus is, he then takes it a little farther. So then he goes from that to then show us a little more passion by this woman, this woman who will, will be out on the street and be impoverished and be powerless and, and be in, in a bad, bad spot. If she loses these 10 coins, she's lost a tenth of them and she doesn't know where it's at. And so now she's lost something a little bit more precious than a sheep from a wealthy man, right? And then Jesus takes it down even more to where it's no longer an inanimate object. It's no longer uh, money. It's no longer a sheep, but it's, it's what? It's a son. It's a son who, say what you will of whatever culture you're in, there's still this bond between this dad and the son, and the son is gone. And the son has vacated his rightful place in his family, and this dad sees the emptiness, right? Right? His dad walks past the empty room and the empty bed. His dad has memories of his son, and they're gone, gone. And Jesus is making a very direct relation, saying that same kind of passion, that great loss that these people feel is the same kind of loss that the heavenly Father feels for his sons and daughters who are lost who are lost you know they're gone so we see that he 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 shows us that every one of these stories has an item that's that's lost but then also in all these stories a common element is that a massive search has been found has been has been has been has occurred a massive search occurred in order to find what was lost you know the the shepherd goes, doesn't he? The woman sweeps. Now we can make the argument, you could, you Bible students out there could say, well, Tony, the, the son actually got his mind right and, and went to the father and there wasn't really a search that was happening there. Well, for you that's so high and mighty in your biblical knowledge, I would just point out verse 20 to you. Verse 20 says, So the son got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, what happens? His father saw him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The sun coming across the horizon, the dad saw the sun before the sun saw the dad. That tells me the dad was looking out every day, waiting, hoping one day to interact with the sun. His dad was searching too, friends. Uh, Maybe a more profound search than sweeping a, uh, a room or looking through a dry creek bed for a sheep. So we see this search that's occurring. And, and the reality that Jesus is making is he's saying, look, the father, the father has literally set everything aside to, to search for his lost children. No, oh, it was much more profound than sending some prophets to come and talk and say, thus saith the Lord. It was much more profound than, than going and meeting with Moses on a mountain and and giving some laws for us to live in order to have a blessed life, in order for us to have a lifestyle, a life knowing that we can know that we're close to God, in order in order to show us that we need Him. That's really what the purpose of the law was for to begin with, if you get to the to the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, God did something more profound than, than just do some miracles, sprinkle some miracles throughout life and throughout history for us to go, wow, he, God's really someone that we shouldn't mess with. He really, He really is in charge. He really is uh, a miracle worker here. Only God could do these things. He, he did something much more profound than any of those things. God sent his son, who is also part of the Godhead, the Trinity. God sent Jesus to come. Jesus, later on in Luke, makes that very clear. So it's not just some preacher just extrapolating that through this text. Jesus in Luke 19, verse 10 says, for the son of man, he's talking about himself here, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's number one purpose of Jesus on earth. Jesus, God himself, comes to do what only God can do to save his lost children. So we see these stories have a common element, a lost, there's something lost. These stories teach that profound links have been gone to or undertaken to to find the things that are lost. And then what does Jesus say in every one of these stories? There's a celebration that occurs. There's a celebration for that lost sheep. There's a celebration for that lost coin. There is a celebration. Kill the fattened calf, the father says. We're having a party tonight because my son is back today. And they had a profound Party. They had a massive feast. They had a celebration because it was a happy day, perhaps the first happy day that family has ever felt since the son left, right? And it was absolutely incredible. And what's Jesus saying to us? Jesus is saying that there is a party that occurs whenever one of his lost sons or his lost daughters is found. That's the reality. That's the reality of it. Uh, you know, I think that that when I was, you know, whatever, eight, nine years old, and I, in my life, recognized that I needed a Savior, and I repented of my sins, and I called upon Jesus through prayer and asked him to come into my life to be the Lord and Savior of my life, I believed that there was a party that happened in heaven, and that there, one of the angels got out, uh, opened up a, a doorway, opened up a, a closet, a room, a storage room, And he looks through everything, and he finds a banner that has Anthony Robert Turner written on it. And they take that out into heaven, and they put it on a display. And there's people celebrating. There's angels celebrating. God himself is celebrating. Because in that day, in that very moment, Anthony Robert Turner was found. And I can say that it's not just about me, but it's about you. And it's about you. And it's about you. The reality is, if you right now could claim to say, I'm a found son, or I'm a found daughter of the King of Kings, then I can tell you, your name was celebrated over at some time in the heavenlies. Absolutely incredible. Now, you and I, when we hear these stories, we might sit back and go, man, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand the passion behind it. I just can't get it. I, I tell you what, I, I profoundly learned the passion uh, a few months ago for lost and found. You see, uh, a couple of months ago, Dane and I were with, with some friends of ours, Jeff and Dana Sherman. We were at uh, Silver Dollar City one evening, and, um, and I had taken my phone with me. Didn't mean to, but I took it. And, and, and so for the longest time, I had my phone in my hip pocket where I knew it was safe. Well, me and Jeff and I, we were on the time traveler, and the time traveler, one of the sensors blew down the, down the thing. And I learned that that, that that ride is overloaded with sensors, safety sensors. And anytime one of them goes, it's 30 minutes. So they got to make sure everything's safe. Well, it, it blew on us. And so we were literally in the track, we were you know in, in our seats and they got us out and says, it's going to be who knows how long. And so I take my phone out and I write Dana because her and the other Dana are somewhere else with Dax. And I, and I write, I make the joke. I said, well, Dag, the, Jeff and I tripped the sensor; we're too heavy for the ride, which she believed, by the way. And that was a whole another discussion afterwards for us. Uh, but I, I wrote wrote that. Now here's the point: why I'm saying that, sharing that. What I did instead of putting it back into my hip pocket, I put it in my shirt pocket, where it sat there for an hour, hour and a half. I haven't had the thought when I put it in there. I was like, I need to take it out because that's not a good spot. You'd think I'd have taken it out right then, but I was like, I'll do it later. All right? Classic. Story, you know, I'll do it later. So now later comes, and Jeff and I, I blame Jeff, it was his idea. We were on the barn swing, the big giant swing, right? And here I have my phone here. Forgot it was here. I forgot it. And when we were on the highest swing up, I felt something. I had my hands here on the harness thing. I felt something rub up off my hand, and I thought, huh, that's an odd feeling. I wonder what that is. Well, then I realized what it was because on the way down, so I guess there's a whole lesson in science here about centrifugal force or something because at some point there was weightlessness that evidently occurred because it was just hovering evidently. And on the way, when I start going down, I feel the phone going faster than me and I feel it slide across my face and over my hand. And when it came over my hand, that's when the lights went on. And I'm like, oh no, it's my phone. And I reached down, I reached down, I couldn't get it. It wasn't fat. my re- Action is always faster than reaction. That's another that's another scientific principle there. I I tried to reach out, grab it, couldn't grab it. One second later, I hear the thud of it landing on the metal roof, right? And I just imagine like it's in a thousand pieces. This was 10 minutes before the park closed. There was no way I was gonna get a hold of it. So I go through all the process. Long story short, Springfield or Silver Dollar City knows that it's lost. They I filled out so much paperwork. I filled out so many papers to say, find my phone, find my phone, find my phone, right? Uh, went the next day on a massive search of my own because I'm like, I was, I was just a madman. You know, I was like, I know where the phone's at, but I can't, they won't let me get up on the roof, you know? And so I'm doing everything I can to figure out this search. In the process, I'm at AT&T to begin getting a new phone and all this stuff. I get a phone call from Silver Dollar City saying, this is about three in the afternoon, we found your phone. I'm like, really? You found my phone? Still not a lot of overjoy happened because I thought they're going to say, and we have the little bag that we put it in with the 20 pieces. And I said, well, how is it? How many pieces is is it in? And they're like, it's fine. It's still holding a charge even. It's like, there's no problems with it. It doesn't have a mark on it, which for the record, hey, this case, this is the case it was on. is a $9 case from TJ Maxx. So those otter boxes of yours, waste of money. But anyway, that's another story. That's another story. Uh, so I, you wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe. I, I happen to run into a friend I hadn't seen for years there. I tell him the whole story. I tell my AT&T guy the whole story. I'm like, they found my phone. And the guy's like, hey, I just work here. You know, he's like... You know, you just you tell me I'm not getting a commission now, is that what you're telling me? You know, I'm calling people up on my way to get my phone. I'm calling because I, I commandeered Dana's phone at that point, you know, during the day. I had her phone, and so I'm calling people, I'm like, you wouldn't believe it, they found the phone. And some people are like, What are you talking about? I'm like, oh, let me tell you the story. I'm telling everyone, I'm so excited because that which has was lost that I thought I would never see again has been found. Right? So if that's how I get over a phone. Think of what the Father's like over a soul, right? Over an individual. Wow. Wow. And so for us today, the point of this talk is not, again, not to make someone feel bad, to go, oh, yeah, Tony, you're right. I need to be a little more passionate about finding that which is lost. I, I need to be more aggressive. I need to be a little more purposeful. I mean, it's not about guilt, But it's just maybe for a few moments we just kind of wipe back the curtains and we look at what the father, we think about what the father feels for lost sons and daughters. And the passion he has for them, the celebration that occurs when he recovers a lost son, when he recovers a lost daughter, is profound. And perhaps that profundity will make a change in our lives too. Perhaps we would come And be a little bit more diligent or be a little bit more purposeful. Why? Because the Father was so diligent to find us. How much more should we be engaged in this task, this search effort, to find the lost sons and the lost daughters? And perhaps also someone in this room maybe, or someone watching me on YouTube or watching me right now streaming somewhere in America or somewhere in the world, maybe perhaps you're lost right now. Perhaps, perhaps you would say, Tony, you know what? I have never said yes to King Jesus. And yeah, I, I'm a person that I would be like that son that, you're, that Jesus was talking about. And I would just say to you, the story that Jesus is trying to share with us is how incredibly loving his father, our father is. How our father has gone to extremes to find the sons and the daughters that are lost. And he paid the ultimate price by his son dying on a cross so that the lost can be found. And if you are lost, I would just say this to you. I would say, would you just get off your high horse? Would you just quit being so prideful? Like that son, that son that Jesus was painting the picture of. You know, because the reality is, is you're in a pig pen, man. You're in a pig pen. You think you got life under control and you're controlling life? You don't. You don't, friends. And if it hasn't yet, one day life's going to, the bottom's going to drop out. And you're going to encounter something that you cannot fix. You're going to encounter something that you cannot handle, you cannot deal with. If you haven't yet, you will. And, and my friend, like that lost son who lost everything, his pride finally left. His f- pride was the last thing to, to be defeated in which he said, I need to turn. I need to turn to my father and i would just ask you to perhaps just let that pride of yours just die out and perhaps you would just say i'm going to trust i'm going to trust the heavenly father i'm going to trust my father to accept me into his kingdom to accept me into his family to make me a son to make me a daughter of the living god and we do that by By simply repenting of our sin, by saying, I am no longer going to live life the way I've always lived it, where it's pretty much selfish, it's pretty much on my terms, it's pretty much on my wisdom. I'm going to turn from that lifestyle and I'm going to go to a lifestyle in which I let King Jesus be the boss of my life, to be the Lord, to be the Savior of my life. And I'm going to confess that Jesus is who He says He is and invite Him to lead my life. If that would be you today, if you're online watching, make contact with us. You can make contact by going to our website and emailing us, connecting, messaging us through Facebook. If you're here in this room right now, I'd invite you in just a moment, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. Come and grab Pastor John over here, or Pastor Dave over there. Grab me. I'll be in the back and just say, you know what? I'm one of those sons and or daughters who, I, I want God to find me today. I want God to find me. And. And I want to turn to him. We'd love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to help you through, show you that process of what that looks like. And then celebrate with you that another son, another daughter has been found. Pray with me. Father, we come before you and we thank you, God. We thank you that you are so passionate. Your heart is, you love the lost sons and the lost daughters in this world. Thank you, God, for... The effort that King Jesus made, he, the effort that he took on earth to seek and to save that which is lost. And God, would that truth just profoundly touch us, your people, so that it's a focus of who we are, God. And Lord, my prayer is if someone in the sound of this voice, someone that's watched and tuned into this talk today, uh, if someone is far from you, who is yet to say yes to you, My my hope, my prayer is, God, that your Holy Spirit would compel them to take that journey today and trust in you. These things I pray in your Son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.